Being a chef means keeping your cool in the kitchen. And with Resi Priority Notify and Global Dining Access through my Amex Platinum card, right this way, it's nice to try someone else's food for a change. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. This is Jeff T. from the Club 520 Podcast. When it comes to your feet, eBay's got your back. When you see the blue check mark that says authenticity guaranteed, that means real experts are checking your sneakers. Every stitch, down to the sole. They even smell them because nothing says fresh like the scent of real kicks. So kick back and relax. From the drop to your doorstep, eBay doesn't play games with your sneaker game. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal with eBay authenticity guaranteed. Visit ebay.com for terms. The Volume. Just a reminder that you can catch me recording this podcast live on AMP. AMP is the new live radio app that lets you call in and chat with me in person while I'm recording. Get the app on Apple's App Store and make sure you follow me at Chris Mannix to get notified when I go live. This is Boxing with Chris Mannix. Oh, somebody punch him in the face. Anthony Joshua is a composed and ferocious finisher. Watch this. Andy Ruiz is the heavyweight champion. Hosted by SI's Chris Mannix. That was my moment. Now with interviews, analysis, and everything going on in the world of boxing. When you have talent, you are given another chance. Here's Chris Mannix. This is Boxing with Chris Mannix, part of the Volume Sports Podcast Network. Glad you could join me this week. Glad you could join me every week, but especially this week, because it is finally Errol Spence, Terrence Crawford fight week. That's right. After years of will they or won't they get in the ring, the two best welterweights in the world will face off on Saturday, T-Mobile Arena, live on Showtime Pay-Per-View. Because it is such a big week, this is going to be a multiple podcast week. That's right. We're going to have at least two podcasts. We're going to have one, obviously, today. You're listening right now. I appreciate that. Uh, And we're going to have another one on Friday. We may even do a post-fight podcast. Not entirely sure I'm ready to commit fully to the post-fight podcast. Got a few things I got to be working on on Saturday night, but I want to do one. And if this fight's as good as I expect it to be, uh, we're going to do a post-fight podcast. Uh, Got a great show for you, though, today. Keith Eidek, senior writer, BoxingScene.com. He joins me in person. We are both here in Las Vegas. Keith Eidek, friend of the podcast. He joins me in person to discuss the two biggest topics right now. One, Naoya Inoue, the now unified champion at 122 pounds after his one-sided destruction of Stephen Fulton that may have catapulted Inoue to the top of the pound-for-pound pound list. Keith and I talk about that. We also get into all things Spence versus Crawford, how sharp these guys are, the ages, what they've gone through over the last couple of years. We dive into that uh, fully on this show. A little bit later on, Nick Manning, who is the director of Showtime's All Access Series, been the director for the last couple of years. We talk about everything that went into the All Access for Spence versus Crawford. He brings back some of his best stories from some of the previous All Accesses. So if you're a fan of the Showtime All Access series, stick around for that conversation with Nick Manning. It is terrific. But first, 
Keith Eidek, BoxingScene.com. He joins me. Let's go. Keith Eidek, in person, right here, across from the table from me. Friend of the pod, doing it live, Keith. How about that? I know. It's, it's, uh, it's a rarity for us, obviously, but uh, <laughs> here we are in Vegas where it's uh, about 112 degrees, and um, I plan not to go outside as, as little as possible. It really is like two different worlds in Vegas. You go inside, and it's 40, 45, kind of hooded sweatshirt weather. You go outside, and you bake within 30 seconds. It's wild. Summertime in Vegas, there's, there's really no explaining it. You have to experience it. But we are in Vegas, the site of the Terrence Crawford, Errol Spence fight, super fight happening Saturday, Showtime pay-per-view. Uh, it's going to be an event. We're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about the fight that already happened this week. Inouye in a way moves up in weight and just beats down Stephen Fulton. What a performance by Inouye in that fight. But Keith, for a minute, just indulge me for just a moment here because something came across my social media feed this week. People were sending me this a couple of times over the week. It was Errol Spence at a media availability being asked about a Sports Illustrated cover that this reporter apparently didn't agree with. Take a listen. Recently, Sports Illustrated put Jake Paul on the cover of their magazine instead of you guys. What do you think about that? I mean, that's their, that's their priority. That's what they want to do. Hey, I can't knock it, man. I can't remember the last time I bought a Sports Illustrated magazine, so <laughs> I don't know. All right, but let me. That's not how magazines work, okay? Just just to clarify this for the people that saw this clip, I saw it retweeted hundreds of times, and people commenting on it. Sports Illustrated's dead. Gotcha. Thank you very much. Um, the Jake Paul cover was not and is not a cover story on Jake Paul and Nate Diaz, a fight that happens a week from now. It has nothing to do with that fight. It is a story on the 50 most influential people in sports, and Jake Paul is one of them. Right on the cover, it says the power issue. So it gives it away right there. There's no picture of Jake and Nate facing off. In fact, it's Jake in a pool on the cover. Uh, This story was reported in late April and early May. It was written by the end of May before Terrence Crawford and Errol Spence were even announced. I know, Keith, you're a print guy. You understand this, how this, this works. But just for the record, I want to put this out there. There was no... We didn't have a meeting at Sports Illustrated to decide, you know what? Jake Paul is a better fit for our cover in August than Nate, than, Nate, than the Terrence Crawford and Errol Spence. That did not happen. We, we believe this fight's big. If you want to read SI's coverage of Crawford Spence, go on SI.com. There's tons of it right now. Greg Bishop's writing a couple times this week. I'll be writing a couple times this week. We just have no... We, we can't control the when the covers come out. They're chosen months in advance. So I have no problem, Keith, with... Uh, Errol Spence kind of answering the question the way he did. I think whoever the reporter is is kind of goofy. I think like, they should know better than say, ah, Sports Illustrated shows Jake Paul over Crawford Spence. How dare they? <laughs> That's just, sorry. I had to get that off my chest a little bit there. You, you understand. You, you, you've been in the print game long enough to understand that. Um, all right. So let's start this show talking about the rare Tuesday morning fight over in Tokyo, Japan. We had Noya Inoue, uh, the undisputed champion at 118 pounds, three-division world champion, moving up in weight to take on Stephen Fulton, who is widely considered the top dog at 122. Uh, this was expected to be a great fight, two great fighters, two undefeated fighters. Uh, but from the moment that first bell rang, we saw the greatness of Inoue. Uh, we saw a dynamic puncher, 
We saw a guy with blurring speed. We saw a guy whose power clearly carried up to 122 pounds. Uh, I thought the first seven rounds were a complete shutout in favor of Inouye. The eighth round comes, and just a picture-perfect right hand down the middle uh, puts uh, Stephen Fulton down, then a flurry at the end uh, forced a stoppage. I came away from that fight as impressed with Inouye as I've ever been before. He's had some quality wins, most notably the uh, early-round knockout of Nonito Donaire, uh, which was a big win for him at that time, the biggest win of his career. This tops that. This was an elite top dog at 122 pounds, and his first fight in that new weight class, Keith, he went out there and and just dismantled Stephen Fulton. What did you think? Uh, yeah, I don't know how you could come away from this anything but extremely impressed by uh, Nayo Inouye because he was brilliant this morning. You know, we here in Vegas, we woke up uh, before 5 a.m. to watch the fight. I kind of like that, don't I you? Exp- I, is it in a weird way I kind of like that? Is that too early? I mean, the alarm goes off. I put the TV on. I heard the anthems. I'm like, this is great. <laughs> I go back to bed afterwards. <laughs> I, I could do without uh, getting up at 445 That's to watch true. boxing, but uh, but hey. You know, East Coast, it would have been fine. Yeah, it would've, yeah, East Coast, totally fine, but I flew here last night, and I'm an old cranky man now, so <laughs> uh, so I'll complain about anything pretty much. But, um, but it was a brilliant performance by Inouye, who just, I, I mean – he couldn't have been better. I mean, he got hit with a couple of right hands, basically, in separate rounds, but that was about it. I mean, he did everything and anything he wanted to to Stephen Fulton, who was a very, very good fighter. Stephen Fulton, I wouldn't classify as a great fighter, obviously, but he's a very good fighter, an undefeated, unified champion in a higher weight class who's physically bigger than, in a way— People were, you know, there were a lot of people who were picking Fulton because of the size and his skill. And at a certain point when you're moving up and moving up and moving up, you're taking on too much. Clearly not the case for Inouye. He's more than ready to dominate at 122 pounds like he has in prior weight classes. I would expect him to beat Marlon Topalis. Uh, probably easier than he beat Stephen Fulton because Stephen Fulton at least is a good enough boxer where he was able to hang in there for as long as he could. And then he got caught with a picture-perfect shot, and uh, no shame in that, man. I mean, you know, Inouye's a devastating puncher. He was on, you know, it was it was a great shot. He got great extension on it. It was perfectly placed. Um, and, and also managed to he, – he's so – He's so unusual. He was able, while Fulton was falling down from the right hand, to catch him with a left, to, to run in and catch him with a left hook to finish him off, basically. Fulton, to his credit, got up, but he was finished at that point, and in a way pounced on him and uh, caused the referee. He did go down a second time as the fight was being stopped, and the referee, Hector Rafu, had no choice but to stop the fight. So uh, just a brilliant performance from Inouye, and validation for a lot of the people who've been on the Inouye bandwagon for many years. Um but like you said, Chris, in these last couple of years, he's gotten wins now where it's very hard to argue against him being the best pound-for-pound fighter in boxing, whereas before, maybe you could say, well, you know, some of the guys that he beat in the lower weight classes weren't quite as good um, as the guys he's beaten recently. I, I understand people are going to say, oh, well, Donaire was 39 years old already when he knocked him out, but he obliterated Nonito Donaire, which had not been done to him, and their first fight was, I don't know, about close but it was reasonably competitive and it was a good action fight and some people voted it their fight of the year for mm-hmm. 2019 so that was a great win for him and you know Donaire is much more accomplished than Stephen Fulton overall in his career but he was 39 years old when they fought the second time whereas Stephen Fulton has just turned 29 last week is in the physical prime and Chris had been so good I mean you know he 
doesn't have uh, Hall of Fame caliber wins on his resume, but he's good ones. But good ones, and, and the Brandon Figueroa win is ver- right, yeah. and, and dominated Daniel Roman mm-hmm. in his last fight. You know the inactivity. I know people are saying, "Oh, well, he didn't fight in 13 months." Look, if he had fought matter, four, yeah. if he had fought four months ago, which I know wasn't possible because the fight got postponed. Mm-hmm. I'm just using that as it? four months ago, six months ago, eight months ago. The result is probably the mm-hmm. same. So, um, just I give Fulton credit for going over there. He was paid very well, of course, but as the champion, you know, he could have stood his ground and said, "Oh, well, he's got to come here and wherever where it makes a lot less business sense for the fight to have happened." He willingly went over there. He demanded the fight because uh, much like Errol Spence was uh, hearing in his ear on the PBC side, well, we think he should fight Keith Thurman because this Crawford fight is taking too long to make. And Spence put his foot down and said, no, I'm fighting Terrence Crawford or I'm not fighting. Stephen Fulton did not. He can still fight Brandon Figueroa now and people will watch it because it was a very entertaining fight the first time. Uh, But he put his foot down and said, I want this fight. I'll go to his backyard and fight him again. Paid very well. Uh, more than twice than what he would have made to fight Brandon Figueroa. But a lot of credit to Stephen Fulton. He handled it with class, stuck around for a pretty long time in mm-hmm. the ring afterward. I'm not really mm-hmm. sure what that was all about. Like, I think he was, he felt obligated for some reason to stay there, but he stayed. It's a different dynamic. Over it there. is, it, but yeah, yeah. but I don't know why he was staying. Like, it's not like in a way came. The one thing I was a little surprised about, uh, Chris, and I, and I don't know if I missed it, because again, it was 5.30 in the morning <laughs> and I was a little blurry and all, but I didn't really see them embrace Maybe they did, but I didn't see it. I know, I know, in a way, went over to his corner, mm-hmm. but I think Fulton's back was turned at that point. I'm sure they both have a lot of respect for each other, but I didn't see what you ordinarily see in, in fights like yeah, this. Yeah, I didn't see that either, now that I think of it. Uh, maybe it did happen off camera mm-hmm. and we missed it, but I didn't see that on camera. Uh, when you're watching that fight early in the morning, at what point do you know that there are levels to this and in a way is on a different one? Like, at what point are you like, because I picked in a way to win by decision. And I think it was the second round when Fulton started bleeding from the nose. Mm-hmm. I'm like, man, I, I'm not worried. I don't think Fulton's going to win. I, I just don't know if he's going to survive at this point. I, I mean, he was catching a lot of those shots. But even when you're catching shots like that, they, they have an impact. Like, they're, you're just blunting it, but they're having an impact on you. What point you're watching that fight are you thinking, okay, in a way, something special? Yeah, I'd say the third round or so is when I started to feel like Fulton was not going to be able to make the adjustments that he would have needed to make to make because you know it's a it's a difference, Chris, between yeah, I know I can take his power, you know, I take you know power from bigger guys in the gym all the time, and then when you're in there with the small gloves on and the guy's power is something more than you thought it was, suddenly your strategy has to be adjusted. And he did come like you you know we had spoken about this a little before you know he got on his front foot a little bit and, and did try and he did land um, a couple of very clean right hands which in a way took very well um, but Fulton never gave you know it, it was never to the point because it only got to the eighth round maybe this would have happened if it got later into the fight eleventh round or something like that I didn't sense that he was that he had given up it's just he couldn't do anything with him it's like no matter what he tried. He paid the price for it for the most part, and even when he landed clean punches, as I said, which were few and far between, they didn't have much impact on in a way. There was really just nothing he can do, and I think that really surprised a lot of people who thought Fulton's boxing ability uh, would would lead him would would be his path to mm-hmm. winning a decision in Japan. Which I don't know if that was realistic either, but no, probably know. not. Um, but you know, in a way, made it academic. He was so good and so dominant from start to finish. Um, he was already in in a way that is the top five in most people's pound for pound list. Uh, I think he rockets the number one right now as we speak Wednesday, July 25th. Um, 
before we get into what next weekend could mean, does does in a way, based on what we know today, move to number one on your list? Yeah, for today, yeah, for sure. <laughs> I mean, because the thing is, Chris, you have to see how the Crawford Spence fight. So you plays believe? Out. I guess that we'll just I'll jump right to the next part of that question. So you believe that what happens in Crawford Spence could sway what because there are people that believe in a way is number one no matter what no matter what happens on saturday internet way is number one pound for pound you believe though that the outcome of crawford spence will have will have an impact on that top spot yeah i think you have to leave room for that just because let's hypothetically say chris that terence Craw- i don't expect this to happen but let's say terence crawford yeah. goes in there dominates errol spence and stops, I agree with stops you, him in the fourth yeah. yeah he stops him in the fourth or fifth round or vice versa errol spence dominates terence crawford and mm-hmm. stops him in the fourth or fifth round that's pretty hard to ignore based on the fact that he'd be the fully unified welterweight champion, one of the glamour divisions in boxing, hasn't been one in you know, the, the four-belt era, uh, beat another undefeated champion. Let's just say it's Spence that, that does that. Crawford's a, a three-weight world champion who has knocked out every welterweight opponent, and you can sure you can pick apart his resume like you can pick apart any fighter's resume. But Including Inouye, for that matter. Of course, know? absolutely. They're, they're all subject to that. So, um, But if that were to ha- I don't expect that to happen. I expect their fight to be a dogfight and to be very competitive. Uh, but let's just say that happened. I don't know how you come away from that and say, oh, well, yeah, I mean, because you know what people will say. Let's just say it's Spence that wins that way. They're going to say, oh, Terrence Crawford's going to be 36 in, mm-hmm. in a couple months. You know, he, he's past his prime, blah, 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 blah. And if it happens the other way, they're going to say, oh, this guy, you know, he's in a car accident and he was, wasn't in a real dogfight after that happened. And, People, you know, people are going to create narratives to serve their own purposes, mm-hmm. no matter what happens. All I'm saying is, you would have to leave room for whatever happens Saturday night. Now, if the fight goes to the cards and it's a narrow, let's just say Crawford wins one fifteen, one thirteen, but it's pretty much agreed upon that he deserved to win the mm-hmm. fight. Well, then you could say, well, look, in a, look what in a way did to Stephen Fulton. But what I would say, you, in my opinion, Stephen Fulton is not on the level of while a very good fighter is not on the level of Errol Spence or Terrence Crawford. Right. So you could use that argument as well. And I'm not trying to pick on it. You know, in a way, what he did this morning was incredible. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I have no you know qualms about him being number one on someone's list. It's all subjective anyway, course, Chris. Yeah. You know, we did, but these pound-for-pound pound lists, I mean, uh, people waste so much time getting into it. We have one on Twitter our, debate. That right, and we, and we have one on our website. Yeah. I mean, it sparks all kinds of conversation and everything. <laughs> but I'm... <laughs> um, <laughs> Who competes with this guy? That's the question I have within a way coming out of this fight. Um, Tapales, due respect to him. Sean Gibbons, I hope you cut a good deal. I <laughs> hope you all get paid for that fight. Uh, okay. That's not going to end well for Marlon Tapales. By the end of this year, more likely than not, in a way is going to be undisputed at 122. You talked to Bob Arum this week who suggested Robesi Ramirez could be uh, the next threat to in a way. Uh, you buy that? I mean, you see, you know, Ramirez fighting on the undercard, just fought in the undercard uh, of, in a way, you've seen Ramirez fight, very good, obviously. Mm-hmm. Is he a threat? Who's the, who's the guy out there between 122 and even 130 that you like, that, that's who Inouye can't beat? That's a bridge too far. Well, I certainly wouldn't say that Robisi Ramirez is a guy that Inouye can't beat, but he, he's, he's a formidable featherweight opponent, obviously. I mean, and, he, and he's represented by top rank. Inouye's co-promoted by top rank. And Bob pretty much laid it out to me the other day that, uh, the, you know, he's going to fight Topolis. Uh, this was before he won, but assuming he beats Fulton, he's going to fight Topolis next. Topolis is going to be at the fight. We saw that all unfold in real time this morning. 
and I think he will beat Topolis convincingly. And then the Rubisi Ramirez fight is there to be made because there's not there's nothing left for him at 122 pounds. He will fully he will then be a, a two time uh, a two division undisputed champion. Terence Crawford could be the first fighter to get to that on Saturday mm-hmm. uh, in the four belt era, the first undis- uh, two two division undisputed male champion. Mm-hmm. Um, so that would be you know that would be pretty incredible for him to do that and, and his two fights at 122 pounds to become mm-hmm. the fully unified champion and then he would look for greater challenges and the next natural thing of course is to move up to 126 pounds top rank has control of both guys it's mm-hmm. an easy fight to make Rubisi Ramirez fought on his undercard today I've been led to believe that Rubisi Ramirez could fight on another one of his undercards building toward that fight mm-hmm. so it all makes perfect business sense and Ramirez is a two-time Olympic gold medalist I mean he's pretty goddamn mm-hmm. good after losing <laughs> his pro debut he's really turned into a, a terrific yeah. fighter um, so it makes sense uh, for that to happen are we ever going to see in a way stateside do you th- I mean he makes so much money over there yeah and it's obviously enough money to get a fighter like Stephen Fulton to, you know, go to PBC and say, I want to take this fight. Um, is it ever going to be worth his while to come to the U.S.? I think if he fights three times in a calendar year, we could see him fight in the U.S., you know, have two fights, two, you know, fights that'll do commercially very, very well in Japan and then have a fight in Vegas because uh, there are a lot of Japanese people who come to Vegas and, and a lot of high rollers. I mean, mm-hmm. that's always been the case. And they feel, which is why they tried to bring him here initially when the fight got postponed, whatever happened, he mm-hmm. was supposed to fight, uh, I think it was a pandemic rule or something, something. I don't yeah. know, he was supposed to fight here, I don't remember mm-hmm. exactly how it fell apart, but he was supposed to fight at Mandalay Bay, and uh, the MGM people were excited about that because a lot of Japanese uh, fans and high rollers were going to come in for the mm-hmm. fight and everything. So I think if he fights three times in a calendar year or close to it, I think that's possible. But he makes so much money in Japan, and he's such a—he's an emerging huge star there. The now. Building was packed. I, mean, yeah. I don't—I don't really understand how they operate in that building. They're very subdued, yeah. compared to U.S. crowds. Yeah, but it's strange. Uh, <laughs> it's very strange. Uh, but they're obviously boxing fans, the Inouye fans over there, paying customers to mm-hmm. watch him fight. So it's—it's it's remarkable the crowds he draws. Uh, but I mean, you know, you saw on, obviously on Twitter, everybody's you know throwing out names, Javante Davis for Inouye. That's a little crazy. Uh, but is like, what's like the. You know, is there a, for lack of a better way to put it, you know, the, the old Larry Merchant, Pacquiao should fight De La Hoya, like the crazy one out there. Do you think there's there's a fight out there that, you know, that a dare to be great type of opportunity for him that that would that would make any kind of sense that that's even remotely on the table? Well, Gervonta Davis, as you just mentioned, that would be pretty crazy. I mean, he, because look, at a certain Gervonta's point... Gervonta's a fan of him. I've seen some video of Gervonta talking about like... In a ways, he, yeah, he's knows le- he's yeah. legit. Yeah. yeah. No, I, but at a certain point, you know, a guy who started as low in weight as he did, at a certain point, you're just going to move up one weight class yeah. too many. At, 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 you know, you just... Your power is not going to... What, what is he going to fight a welterweight? I mean, mm-hmm. what are we talking about? And here? in a way, I mean, does get hit you know? from time to time. He does, yeah. And you know, Gervonta is going to counter punch a real puncher. I mean, I, yeah. and I don't even want to go down this rabbit hole of him fighting Gervonta because this is <laughs> yeah, no. ridiculous. Okay. But uh, but it would be a huge fight, obviously. Mm-hmm. But um, but he's three weight classes away from where Gervonta... Yeah. You know, it's just... It's not even... It's just unfortunate that 126 is not really a glamour division right now. 130 is not really a glamour division right now. There are certainly titles that can be won. Um, you know, memo to Eddie Hearn, send Lee Wood over to Japan to, to fight to mm. fight in a way for a big payday. Uh, but I'm just wondering who that guy is that 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 gets to him. Like, who, where, where does this train stop? Where does it get off within a way? I mean, is Ramirez tough fight? I think in a way can win that fight. You know, 
Luis Lopez is out there with a title. Lee Woods out there is set out there with a title. You go up to 130, you're talking about the Joe Cordinas and the Oshaki Fosters and these guys. Like, I don't know. I, I don't know where, where it stops for him. Yeah, it would be really interesting if he fully unifies at 122 and then goes up to – now, it would take much more time because – the titles are fractured at 126 but imagine if he became a three-weight undisputed champion i mean he, he's a hall of famer already mm-hmm. but all time that would be level. oh my god yeah. I and mean, if he was able to do it's that it's doable though like i, I yeah. look at it, i mean you're right 126 that's why if you're top rank you want to try to get ramirez and what lopez has the title right so you want yeah, to get them lopez. like that that's a makeable fight for you you want to get them together and you know, at least you can get two titles on the line to fight against Inouye down the Well, Luis Lopez, remember, is defending his title against Joet Gonzalez, who was getting True. his 47th title <laughs> shot somehow. Just keeps getting uh, it. I have a nice guy. Very but, nice I mean, How many title shots are you going to get? I thought the Shakur fighter should have been the last I mean, one, yeah, but you know, I mean, that's, that's just me. Uh, but, yeah, so it'll, it'll be harder to become fully unified at 126. But I think that's, you know, in Japan it doesn't matter who he fights. Mm-hmm. The arena is going to be packed, and he's a he's a mainstream star over there. He's making money hand over fist, so I guess it doesn't matter to some degree who he fights. But um, yeah, but but who is the who's the guy? Who's mm-hmm. his rival? I, I get what you're saying. Yeah. There's no natural guy that that pops to mind that you say, oh, th- this is the guy he has to fight, and this is going to be a bridge too far if he tries to fight so and so. That's not you know that doesn't really exist. But you know the Ramirez fight. It's interesting, mm. you know, a southpaw who can box and who's, re- re- you know, really fleet on his feet and everything. I mean, he's he's a talented guy, and once he started training the way professional prize fighters are supposed to train, you notice the dramatic difference in, in the way he has performed. Mm. So, you know, Shakur is very complimentary of uh, Robisi yeah. Ramirez now and has seen him in the gym, um, you know, obviously, uh, you know, you were down there in Brazil when it all uh, unfolded there. Um I don't think they fight at this point because they're so far apart in weight. But 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 Shakur, who will not be shy to tell someone that they suck and they're not on his level, as we've seen. Hey, George Campos. I, I but you know, and I give him credit for you know he's not he's not uh, blowing smoke up someone's ass. No, he just says, not. "Hey, man, look, you know, like I respect you. I congratulations, but." Uh, I mean, he literally told George Cambosis to his face, I'll beat the shit out of you. I mean, that's, that's literally what he said. Um, so and he says it like incredulously. Yeah. He's like, why like, are you talking to me exa- right now? Exactly. I will end exactly. you. So, so for a guy like Shakur, who's obviously full of confidence and rightfully so, for him to, to be very respectful of Orbisi or Ramirez and acknowledge mm-hmm. the improvements that he's made as a pro, I think speaks to how good Orbisi Ramirez is. Is he good enough to beat in a way? Well, I mean... No one seems to be, fall into that category so far, so I'm not sure about that. But it's an interesting fight. You know who? What I love about anyway is that he transcends the boxing politics because he they can offer so much money that like whoever a title holder is that has a PBC side belt, whether it's Brandon Figueroa or you know, Gary Russell, Ray Vargas, whoever has one of those belts, they'll probably go over to Japan to fight him because there'd be so much money available right. to them to to do that. So he's going to get those opportunities. I'm excited to see to see more of him at 122. Uh, and beyond. Just because I mentioned the Cambosis fight, um, were you as outraged as many were by the scorecards in that fight? Cambosis defeats Maxi Hughes. It was a majority decision. One of the judges, David Sutherland, had it a draw. Two of the judges had it in favor of Cambosis. One wide, one, 117, uh, 111. That was a fight that I thought was was close. I edged to Hughes watching on TV about 115, 113. Uh, but a lot of outrage afterwards about two of those scorecards in this fight. Where did you fall on that? Yeah, 117-111, Joseph Mason's scorecard is just, is just preposterous, yeah. disgusting, uh, 
pick an adjective, right? I mean, Tim Bradley was right on the on the head. Sometimes I think Tim goes a little too far in, in, in his outrage sometimes, but I thought he was completely on the money in this case. And his point was well taken in that, you know, Maxi Hughes is a guy who has five losses on his record. He's not a big puncher. He's even in the boxing craze UK. He's not a big star. He wins seven fights in a row, pulls off a couple of minor upsets, is in position. He has the IBO title, which, you know, some most people don't mm-hmm. recognize, whatever. I mean, but he, but he had a title, and George Cambos has fought for it and wanted it. It's an IBF elimination match. He pursues the fight. He comes to the middle of nowhere in the U.S. to, to fight George Cambos. sounded so dead there. It right. It's, so it's dead Shawnee, there. Oklahoma, for God's sake. Um, <laughs> he comes over, you know— very seem very likable guy. He puts on a cowboy hat and all this stuff. He seems like a very down to earth, humble, likable guy. As Cambosis, I like Cambosis. He seems like a decent dude too. But for Maxi Hughes to come there and and fight the way that he fought. Now I was covering the fight off of TV uh, from my house, so you get a little different feel for it when you're covering on TV than when you're at ringside. That you get a different angle and all that kind of stuff. But. Um, in my head, I wasn't really scoring it round by round because I'm writing on deadline, you know, mm-hmm. round by blow by blow and all that. But I kind of felt like Maxie Hughes won at a minimum, at a minimum seven, but probably eight. Like I thought he was a decisive winner. So mm-hmm. when I first heard the first score that was announced was 117-111, I said, oh, well, they got it, you know, they got it right. I mean, here they're giving the guy his, you know, and it, you're always concerned about those things because – even though Cambosis is from Sydney, Australia, and the fight was in Shawnee, Oklahoma, he was the house fighter because mm-hmm. he just signed a co-promotional contract with Top Rank, a multi-three fight deal at least. Um, so he's the guy that they're looking to make at least an opponent for all the lightweights that they have or to get in position to win a lightweight title. Mm-hmm. So you're always worried about that. And uh, I just, you feel terrible for a guy like Maxie Hughes because he has no recourse at this point when you lose a fight like that that you should have won. You can file a protest. Nothing is going to come not of that. Not going to go anywhere. And George Cambosis, and understandably so, is not going to give him a rematch because it makes he's all. It, it would be foolish for him yeah. to do that. He's in position to fight for the title. The, mm-hmm. Assuming Haiti gives up the titles, I mean, he's in position to fight for one of the uh, belts now. Um, but yeah, so the other thing, Chris, is in a typical boxing, you know, only in boxing type of thing. David Sutherland, who, in my opinion, has proven mostly to be a good judge. He's kind of come on the scene the last few years, has yep. been used in a lot of fights in Las Vegas, particularly by Top Rank. He's um, more regional guy for a long time. He was, yeah. And, and now he's kind of jumped yep. in. He's going to do this fight this weekend. Well, that's the, my point, though. Yeah. Like, like he just scored Cambosis Hughes a draw, hmm. which I thought was at least one or two rounds off. And now he has been chosen as one of the, or assigned as one of the judges for the most historically significant fight of of the year and maybe for several years. I mean, right? I mean, it's just, you know, because what if we get to Saturday night and Terrence Crawford, let's just say, should win eight rounds and David Sutherland has Errol Spence winning seven rounds or vice versa. Errol Spence should win the fight and he has to... Why? It just baffles me that when they're assigning judges to these high-profile fights... Now, at least they didn't put Dave Moretti in the pool based on what's happened with Dave Moretti over the last mm-hmm. few months. So they had some common sense in that respect. And I'm not saying David Sutherland should be punished for the rest of his career because he submitted one scorecard that I, I mean, who the hell am I, right? I mean, uh, because I, I disagree that was with def- it. I actually thought the 114-114 was defensible because I only had it 15-13 Hughes doing it off TV. And I always say, like, whenever you have it 15-13, 
if it goes one point, close way, rounds, one round like, can whatever. go. Yeah, right. And, it's a couple. And it's not like either one of those guys was landed haymaker. And that's the thing. Know? Maxi Hughes should have been more active yeah, in yeah. the fight for sure. Yeah. I mean, he could have solidified the victory. Well, maybe not. Joseph yeah. Mason still probably would have scored <laughs> George Campos for the winner. Mason I mean, um, all in on George. So I, I don't mean to pick on David Sutherland. I'm sure he's. I, I'm sure he's perfectly nice and all that. My point is, if the previous Saturday he's involved in what is without question a suspect decision Mm -hmm. you can't have him judging that's not the time for him to you want to assign him to the spence crawford rematch in january or whatever fine but the next saturday Mm. it's just it just open and i'm not saying david sutherland won't do a great job on say he might very well he's proven to be a pretty good judge but the optics of it are awful and that's the last thing we need to come away from on saturday night is a controversial decision you need these guys to get it right, yep. 100%, because there's a decent chance it's a really close fight, and it's as important a fight to score as any in recent memory. You've got to have the best. I'm glad Steve Weisfeld's doing it. I think he's uh, one of the best. Who's the third one? Uh, Tim Cheatham is Tim the Cheatham, other Another good one. Yeah. Uh, so I think they've got a decent uh, core there, but we'll see. It's a, an important fight uh, for them to get right. Just lastly on Cambosis, like I'm not even sure. Like Let's say, hypothetically, Haney drops those belts. Like. Does Cambos was it Gustavo Lamone? Is that who he's yeah. like? I'm not sure he beats him. Like I don't know. Yeah. Like Cambos is to me. I've never seen. Uh, Lam- I think it's Lamos. Is it Lamos? I, I'm I believe, butchering that. Whatever his name is, I've never seen him Still fight. Still not so sure Cambos can beat him though. Like right. Cambos is like I heard from some people around Cambos is like, you know, Haney took a lot out of him. I don't really know. Believe that. Like I mean, yeah. they were he went 24 rounds with Devin Haney, but it's not like going 24 rounds with. Manny Pacquiao, like, you right. know, you got outboxed in two fights with Devin Haney. I think Cambosis kind of is what he is. Like, he had mm-hmm. a great night against Teofimo Lopez, but you raise up levels, and uh, you know, I, I haven't seen anything from George Cambosis that makes me believe, you know, maybe he wins that IBF title, but you know, Shakur Stevenson has nothing to worry about in a fight like that. Like, well, I he, just hope... He beats down Cambosis. Chris, I hope they don't get to the point where they have to make that fight. I hope, because everyone seems to think, and Shakur certainly hopes that this is the case, that he fights Lomachenko. Haney gives up the titles, mm. and then him and uh, Lomachenko is the number one contender in the WBC's rankings, and Shakur is number two. So they're mm. perfectly positioned to fight for the vacant title. Okay, Lomachenko officially lost to Haney. There are plenty of people who will tell you that he deserved to win that mm. fight. So if they can make Shakur Stevenson and, and Vasily Lomachenko in, let's just say, November, that's a pretty good goddamn fight. And, and, Great fight, you yeah. Know, you would, you know, you want to see Shakur fight his contemporaries, Devin Haney, but he's going to move up. Javante mm. uh, Davis is there's not going to be an easy fight to make for obvious business reasons. Um, so in the interim, him fighting Lomachenko is a is a good, I don't want to say consolation prize because it's a pretty good fight, but um, but it's a fight we'll want to see. Whereas if he fought Cambosis, it's like. If Cambosis gets his hand on that title, though, he's he's going to be coming for him sooner rather than later. You know, if, if yeah, yeah, that and that's not going to go well for George. That's that's not going to go well for George at all. Um, the fight this weekend, the fight that we're here for, uh, Spence against Crawford. Percentage wise, do you see this as a fifty fifty fight? Do you see it as fifty five forty five in favor of one guy or the other? Like, how do you view the Spence Crawford matchup? Uh, it's 50-50. Yeah, it's the proverbial do, yeah. 50-50 fight, right? I mean, I could see either guy winning. I favor Crawford uh, because I think he has much more in his arsenal, mm-hmm. and he's more diverse than Errol Spence, and I think he'll make adjustments better than Errol in the fight. Would you have favored Crawford three years ago, pre-accident for Errol Spence? I, I would have. Yeah. You would have, even yeah. then? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. See, yeah. for me, I, I think Crawford. Cra- I think Crawford's 
a lot, even though he's 36, I think he's a lot better at welterweight now than he was in 2019 when he was kind of just coming into the division, mm-hmm. uh, still filling out. I, I look at Crawford at some of these press events, and he he's a little shorter than Spence, but he's rock solid at 147. He looks like yeah. a welterweight. And people around him have told me, like, you know, he 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 used to walk around at like 160. Now he's like 168, 170. Like, you know, mm-hmm. so he's building, he's he's growing into that body. Uh, even still, and and Spence, and we can get into this a little bit, but like, man, the last since the accident, he's had two fights, which is a problem, I think, in and of itself, and he hasn't been the guy, and maybe that's a result of competition, what his opponents decide to do, but he hasn't been the guy that we saw before then, the guy that fought Sean Porter, the guy that fought, uh, you know, Kel Brook, uh, the, the guy that just was knocking guys out left and right after turning pro. I just. I think he's a little bit different since then. Yeah, you know, the Danny Garcia fight is, it's really hard to to judge him on that because it was his first fight back from the accident. I think it was 13 months after Mm -hmm. the accident happened. I didn't get the sense that Danny Garcia really came to engage that night. You know, I think, I'm not saying he came to collect the check because Danny Garcia is better than that, but but I thought he was very cautious against Spence for the most part. Uh, so it's kind of hard to get a read on Spence from that fight. You know, obviously he stopped your Dennis Ugas, who, who has improved uh, immeasurably since losing back-to-back fights, uh, you know, eight years ago, nine years ago, mm-hmm. or whatever. Um, but he had some uh, lapses in concentration, which he better not have on Saturday night, or he's going to have a real mm-hmm. problem. Um, but I think, you know, of course, when you know you're in there with a dynamic fighter like Crawford, who who's capable of doing what he can do. You know, there's a different level of focus. and Whereas if you go into the fight with Ugas and you feel like, well, this guy's not really going to be able to do anything with me for the most part, you, you approach it a little differently. And I sometimes fighters don't admit that, but that has to be the case, right? Mm-hmm. So I think they'll both be laser-focused on Saturday night. I'm expecting to see a dogfight, uh, one that I think Crawford will begin to take control of later in the fight, and I, and I, that's why I favor him to win. Um, would I be stunned if Errol Spence won? No. Uh, that's why I said it's a fifth. It, and you... You hear fighters tell us that I'm almost every fighter we ask about every fight that you know, unless it's some whitewash that would that we wouldn't ask them about. <laughs> they they almost always say that it's a fifty fifty fight. You yeah. know, that, you know. But in this case, that's really true, and that's why the odds are what they are. And this is really one of those fights, Chris. And I was joking around with you about this earlier. You know, when you've been covering the sport for so long, like we have, I mean, it, it's not all that often where you're really. You know, you're going through the grind of covering the sport and writing all these stories and traveling around and all that kind of stuff. It's rare that you really get excited about a fight, and I, I think you feel the same way. I'm excited about this fight. I can't wait to see it on Saturday night. Absolutely. I mean, it. it, it you have to go back to. I mean, Fury Wilder got me up for it. You know, especially the second and third fights. I was into a second fight, maybe more so than the third. Although the third fight turned out to be terrific as well. Before then, you have to go back to like Manny Pacquiao. Floyd Mayweather. And I bring that those names up because there is a little part of me, Keith, that a little wary of, you know, come, you know, what, 10 o'clock local time Saturday night. Are we wondering what could have been with this fight? Are we wondering what this fight would have looked like three years ago when Crawford was younger? Three years ago before Spence got into uh, his accents, had all the health issues, including an eye injury, which is, you know, we don't talk about that much, but that was a significant uh, issue for him. Uh, cost him the Manny Pacquiao fight. Uh, is there any part of you that goes into this fight feeling like, oh man, I hope I'm not disappointed. I hope I don't walk out of here like wondering, wondering what could have been. 
Well, you hope not, obviously. But um, look, I, who can predict when a guy's gonna, you know, drive drive intoxicated one night mm. and almost lose his life? I mean, that's you know, thank God that he that he came out of it the way that he did. I mean, it's first of all, let's just—it's a miracle mm. that Errol Spence has come back and been the fighter that win, lose, or draw on Saturday night. It's nothing short of a, if you believe in miracles, that, that this was one yeah. for sure, that he's even in this position. And shout out to Errol Spence for whenever he he's never in low-level fights. Like, he's right. always, no, he, yeah. you know, I, I heard Bo Mac, Brian McIntyre, the trainer for Terrence Crawford, talking about the media-created uh, Errol Spence. Like, no, Errol Spence created Errol Spence. Like, yeah. Errol Spence went out there and fought the very best. Now, he had the advantage of, fighting uh, for PPC, which had control of most of the titles over the last few years. But these were no slouches that Errol was beating up on. These were legitimate title holders. Sean Porter, legitimate title holder. Uh, Ugas beat Pacquiao in his previous fight. Like, he he fought the very best. You know, beyond Crawford, he cleaned out that division. I mean, Keith Thurman's, I guess, still out there. But, you know, he he beat all the guys on that side of the street. Yeah, Thurman's the only guy that he didn't fight on on that proverbial side of the street, as you said, Chris. And and that fight was about to happen yeah. if, if 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 they couldn't come together on this that is who he would have fought next and he I'm still convinced might Keith Thurman's never going to fight again I'm just and he's going to keep talking about fighting <laughs> and never actually fight I mean Keith, what has Keith Thurman fought since since he I believe since he fought Danny Garcia which was March 2017 uh, on CBS on CBS when a lot of eyeballs massive number yeah never never went back to CBS <laughs> after that I don't quite understand that uh, but. I believe he's fought three times since then. That's six plus years ago. And he's, he's had some injury issues. Times. I yeah. get that, but I feel like I always felt the hunger just disappeared from Keith Thurman, like that guy yeah. that wanted all the smoke early on. That that fought and beat the best guys, Sean Porter, Danny Garcia. At some point, the guy just disappeared, and you know he's always on Showtime talking about Keith Thurman's always third person. Keith Thurman's not a gatekeeper. Keith Thurman's you know only going to come back for the big fight. All right, well. 2023 started to slip away from Keith Thurman. I don't know if he's ever going to have a fight, but that's the end of the hearing right there. Um, concern, what concerns me about Spence, too, is, you know, Crawford, this is Crawford's life, boxing. Like, he eats, drinks, and sleeps it. Uh, you know, Spence, he, he works hard, plays hard. We've seen that from him a lot over the years. Uh, you know, even though chronologically, Terrence Crawford is older, I, I feel like Crawford might be the fresher fighter in this fight. I mean, he's obviously, he's also sharper because he's coming off uh, a more recent fight. He's went over David Amnesian late last year, whereas Spence has not fought since the Ugas fight in April of 2022. I think that's going to be a factor in this fight as well. What do you think? You know, I asked Spence about that a few weeks ago. We did a Zoom interview, and he said um, he's not at all concerned about the layoff. Now, he's performed well off of long layoffs in the past. He always has won fights convincingly coming mm-hmm. off these really long layoffs the difference of course he's never fought terrence crawford coming off this kind of layoff there's a difference i think between fighting danny garcia and fighting your dennis ugas and fighting terrence crawford when you haven't been in the now he trains like an animal so i'm Mm -hmm. sure he's going to be razor sharp on saturday night and he's had he's been in the gym for four or five you know this because the negotiations took so long and they thought the fight might happen sooner etc I'm sure he's going to be in fantastic condition and uh, and razor sharp, like I said. But there's only so many times you can do that, you know, to come off these long layoffs and and con- excuse me, continue to win, particularly when you're in there with an, a, another elite level fighter who, like you said, eats, sleeps, breathes boxing, mm-hmm. and has not, you know, to the best of my knowledge, I'm obviously not in Terrence Crawford's inner circle by any stretch, but he leads a pretty clean life. I mean, he, you know, he's 
takes care of his body the way that a, a top level athlete is supposed to. He's, you know, he's never had any physical damage done to him. Like unfortunately Spence had in the car accident. They always say when you have a damaged retina and it's, and it's repaired, that it's better. I, what I'm no eye surgeon. What the hell do I know? But, all, but what I'm saying is maybe all these things start to catch up with you after a while. I don't know. I mean, I, I hope that's not the case on Saturday night because I really just want this to be the best of both guys, which kind of leads back to your original question. Is that where we're at? Who knows, right? Mm-hmm. But I don't. I've have not seen any slippage in Terence Crawford, who's the older fighter, who'd be thirty six in September. I've not seen any semblance of slippage in him to make me believe that he's not capable of going in there and winning this fight. Mm. I'm of the belief that if this fight ends in knockout, it's going to be Crawford that finishes it. I believe this fight goes to a decision. I think Spence is the one that wins it. What do you think of that? Yeah, I could. Yeah, I mean, mm-hmm. I could. It's got to be close no matter what. But Spence is much bigger than Crawford, too. You know, like physically bigger. I, I, I understand. I think Spence I understand is more cautious point. than Crawford is. I think Crawford's yeah. going to try to make... And, and both those guys will engage, no doubt about it. At some point, this is going to be a, a great fight. But I think Spence, with his physical tools, like I watch him fight against Mikey Garcia. I watch him fight against uh, Danny Garcia. You know, Ugas was knocked out largely because Spence just kept popping away at that eye and and, and beat that eye up. I, I think Spence, that that's how he's going to try to find a way to win, to use his size and length to to try to outbox Crawford a little bit more than Crawford's going to try to outbox Spence. That, yeah, that's probably true, Chris. And um, again, he he's bigger, mm-hmm. you know, and, he, and he's a strong kid, obviously. But I just think that they're almost, and when I say mirror images, I don't mean in the way that they fight, but they're mirror images of each other in the sense that they've got so much pride and there's so much do- like mm-hmm. just dog in both <laughs> of them that I think that is going to come out and, and eventually, you know, maybe there'll be some, you know, Crawford always starts slow. They're going to be very respectful of each other, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. Eventually, this will develop into a dogfight, I think. I don't think we'll come away from this fight disappointed, which oftentimes happens with fighters at the top level because they're so good and, and, and they respect each other and they're not taking the risks in those fights that you might ordinarily take Mm -hmm. i mean how many times have we come away from the best fighting the best and we're like yeah that fight really you know we Mm -hmm. wanted to see this for how many ever years Mm -hmm. and it just didn't live up to expectations i i get the feeling that this is going to be one of those um where not only it takes on the historical significance that it does but also plays out in the ring in a very entertaining way and we come away from it saying let's just hope the loser however he loses exercises this rematch clause. I was going to say, if it's entertaining, I, do you think we do it again? Absolutely. Well, they have. They, they, they have but do you think they would? They would. Oh, a thousand yeah. percent. Yeah, no. I, and, I, and, I, and I've asked both Maybe guys. not this weight, though. I'm not so sure they'd do it at 47. Maybe. Maybe. Yeah, but well, because, well, the the loser would, I think it would be at the loser's option because they would want to yeah. be, become the fully unified welterweight champion, which they never. Although who knows what could happen with the belts at that point, you know, if they, if it gets well, pushed. Well, I, mean, oh, right, you know, right. I mean, you tell Mauricio, you're going to get 3% of, of Crawford Spence, uh, of uh, you know. I'm sure all of them will just take a lot of interim belts out there right now. Keith. Yeah, the WBA secondary true. title boots Ennis. He's yep, got a yep. belt pretty soon. Mandatories for interim. Champions pretty soon. Alexis and, you know, is going to have yeah. himself an interim title. A lot of belts and a lot of sanctioning fees. True. Uh, being collected out. True. There. But but I do think that Chris, I do think the loser, because I've asked both guys this. Uh, well, you know, do you think the other guy, let's just say you win convincingly, maybe even by stoppage. Do you think, you know, Spence, do you think Crawford would take it if you stop him? Crawford, do you think Spence would take it if you stop him? And they both have said that they think because the the other fighter has so much pride, mm-hmm. 
that they'll want their get back, so to speak, yeah. and that they would exercise the rematch clause, which I believe they have 30 days from Saturday night to do. And uh, let's just hope, Chris, you know, look, we can't have nice things in boxing. We, we, <laughs> That's some good things this we're year. We're well right? aware of that. Yeah. Are we, you know, let's just treasure this one for what it is. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It's a great fight. It means so much historically uh, in a glamour division. It finally happened for, for 47 minutes or whatever it is on Saturday night. Um, let's just hope that it plays out the way that we're expecting it to play out. And we come away from this. Uh, feeling really good about a super fight because that th- doesn't always happen. Mm, I agree. I agree. Now, I want to spend 10 minutes talking about uh, Giovanni Cabrera and how well-managed he's been during his career, but I have in my notes here that you want nothing to do <laughs> with that topic. You think Cabrera's manager is a, quote, bumbling moron? Is that is that accurate, Keith Eidek? You think that is that is wholly inaccurate, is, my friend. That, I'm not, what, what's the name of Cabrera's manager again? I'm, is it? I'm not touching. This, I believe uh, she used to work at main events. Uh, Josephine. She, first of all, Josephine. first of all, she she knows better than this that I that I would disparage her in this way. So I'll let her kick your ass instead of mine. You know, Keith Eidek. Check him out on BoxingScene.com all week long here from Vegas. Fight night. Follow him on Boxing at Eidek Boxing. Keith, always appreciate it, man. Yeah, same here, Chris. Good to see you. And when we come back, my conversation with Nick Manning. This is it. We've got an Amex Platinum Pro on our hands, ladies and gentlemen. We haven't seen anyone relax like this before in the Centurion Lounge. Is he connecting to complimentary Wi-Fi? Oh, my. Look at that. He is. And you will not believe where he's going next. The Amex dedicated card member entrance for the win. Unbelievable. When you get travel perks with Amex Platinum, you're part of the action. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Now, I'm supposed to talk here about what I remember and what I loved about my first car. And that's easy for me to do because I still have my first car. And as long as it keeps running, and so far so good, I intend to have that car probably until the day I die. Uh, That's how much I love that car. It is like a child to me. Now, it does require some upkeep, and that's why I'm grateful for a place like eBay Motors. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly. Brake kits, LED lights, roof racks, bumpers, Whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Hey, guys. This is Matt Jones, Drew Franklin from the Fade This Podcast. we got a great episode coming up. Picks in all the sports, football, basketball. We do them all. But here's a preview of this week's episode. Do you think it's more embarrassing to dye your hair or to have hair plugs? I don't think either are embarrassing if you're not trying to conceal it and act like you didn't. Okay. So you think if you just come out and go, I got hair plugs. Yeah. Like, check out these hair plugs. I mean, don't just walk around, hey, tapping, you know, hey, <laughs> hey, stranger, I don't want you thinking this is natural. You know, but I mean, <laughs> do you, you have to do that with everyone you meet? Some people try to act like they, uh, you know what I mean. Yeah. But I mean, like, like John Cena got it. You know, when John Cena came back to wrestling, he had a bald spot, and now he doesn't. Mm-hmm. You think he should be required in all interviews to say, "Look, by the way, I covered up my bald spot." Yeah, I guess it's weird. I mean, you don't wear a sign or like put a sign in your yard, but all right. So what about toupees? 
Those are the most obvious. I but let's like. say you're like Bill Self and you can get it to where it looks good. His is magical. I don't even know if his is a toupee. It is. I think he went into the future and had a procedure we haven't even discovered yet. And this episode was brought to you in partnership with DraftKings. To hear more, listen and subscribe to Fade This on iHeartRadio or wherever you listen to podcasts. All right. Nick Manning is the director of the Showtime All Access series, the Emmy Award winning All Access series. Did some of the All Access like Canelo versus Plant, uh, Davis versus Romero, Davis versus Garcia, and has been working this week on the All Access for Errol Spence against Terrence Crawford, working for a few weeks now on Errol Spence versus Terrence Crawford. How many, what kind of investment is a project like this? Is it over a course of months? you know, we hear the phrase like is embedded with Errol Spence, is embedded with Terrence Crawford. What does that mean? All access is, I mean, really from the jump when the fight gets announced is when we kind of have the green light to go. So, yeah, I mean, it's like a two-month process. Um, and typically when we have, we do like seven days per episode, um, which did not used to be the case. You know, for the Floyd Mayweather days, which was before my time, they would come out here to Vegas for like, months and then they would just but you know you're just on call Mm -hmm. for when he wants to do something so times have changed when it comes to that we're a little more uh responsible in that way but yeah i mean i was pretty much all of june i was in dallas with errol spence and you know the same on the other side different crew for terrence crawford Mm and omaha and then uh and then uh colorado springs so you know, it's probably a two-month process overall with about a month in camp. These behind-the-scenes shows, I think, offer great insight into, you know, who these fighters are, what makes them tick, you know, stuff you don't see at traditional press conferences, beginning with, you know, what HBO would do with 24-7, now what All Access has done uh, for the last 10 years. What's the goal for you when you begin, you know, a project around a fight? I mean, we're always just looking for to get the most authentic um, version of the fighter across as possible because what All Access does is a real fly-on-the-wall approach where if, you know, if it feels like you're seeing something that you're truly not supposed to be there for, not in a bad way, but just that it's truly something that you wouldn't normally see. So, you know, we always try to find something different. There's obviously the... We we do the bare essentials. We get the, you know, the nutritionist in there. We have our gym sessions and all that. But, you know, it's it's about finding a balance between something that is cool and different that can engage people, but also is something that the boxer is comfortable with where their personality will come out. And you just don't know what that is. I mean, the best example I can find is, you know, with Gervonta, we did two different scenes that made the same episode was... I went through this whole process of getting up in a helicopter to fly over Vegas to do, go around T-Mobile, and it was going to be, you know, <laughs> it's, he's, it's really like, uh, you know, he's thinking about how big this is and all that, and it was cool, mm. but what stood out was the opening scene was, you know, he went to a 7-Eleven, and I gave him my corporate card, and <laughs> I just told him to go nuts, and him and his friends just bought like $80 worth of candy, and they were just like, literally kids in a candy shop that's what they bought with the corporate card 80 dollars worth of candy yes and, and a banana um God. and they, so much better with the corporate card <laughs> well <laughs> what happened was is we filmed with the nutritionist mm. and then he mentioned to us as a joke that well tank's favorite f- restaurant is 7-eleven <laughs> and so we're like okay we started thinking about it and that's how a lot of the ideas come and it's super easy for him it's like hey on the way home can you just stop at 7-eleven we're gonna do this and mm. 
we didn't know where we were going. I just found one. I walked in. I saw the lady, and I was just like, "Hey, something's about to happen. <laughs> Hope you're cool with this." And uh, and he went in, but like that showed his personality. And if you look at the comments and everything, like people couldn't stop talking about like the Seven Eleven part. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> I mean, it hurts a little bit after everything you do with like some like a helicopter. But <laughs> you know, at the very end of the day, like if you can capture these guys' personalities. Um, I think you've done the best job because it's shown that you've made them comfortable enough to be themselves and and be comfortable on the platform they're on. The challenge with you and, I, and I've experienced this as reporters: getting guys to be authentic, like you know, getting guys to open up uh, and be their authentic selves. How, how challenging is that for you with with the cameras rolling all the time with these guys? It's very challenging. Um, it all comes down to what kind of approach you have as a crew um, and the type of people you have with you. So I have the same people with me all the time. Um, Justin, Kyle, and Mark are my main guys. And so we're very laid back. You kind of have to be comfortable with the idea that you may not get something at the that might set you up to get something later on because you always have to be thinking about, well, I'm going to see them again, so I can't push too hard here. But... Um, you know, I don't, a lot of producers will put in earphones and they'll listen to the mics that are going on and they'll take notes and, you know, that's their style. My style is to just kind of just be very present mm-hmm. and make sure the boxer knows that I'm, I'm paying attention, but like I'm on your side, mm-hmm. like, um, and with Errol, even when the beginning of the shoot, I just went over to his house and we just talked and it just kind of like talked about things we could do, but it ended up just being a good way to just break the ice and mm. and have that camaraderie as you go on and just have them know that you know we're here to sell a fight mm. we're here to make them look good you know we want to tell an authentic story and be honest but at the end of the day like they don't need to they don't need to be afraid of all access you mm. know but um i will say that it it is tough sometimes because you'll film them going to another interview and they'll give this great answer to somebody <laughs> and you're just like, that sucked. <laughs> Can you say am, that with the cameras are rolling? What am I doing? <laughs> so. But sometimes, you know, like sometimes it's just like the mood that they're in. Like it's totally. sometimes you catch a guy, you know, feeling it, feeling themselves. Sometimes you catch a guy where he's like, I don't want to talk today. I mean, yeah. I mean it's, it's, it, you have to feel out their mood every day. I mean, these guys are putting themselves through hell and you know, with Errol, especially being in that gym every day, 110 degrees no air conditioning like it's a brutal environment Mm. for all of us um so i hope they respect the fact that we you know we go hard i mean honestly we at the drop of a hat we'll get up and we'll go do anything Mm. and you know tank hit us up at five in the morning in la or sorry one in the morning in la and asked we wanted to come film a gym session and we had a long day and we i turned to my crew and again this goes to just having guys that are in it with you Mm. And we're all just like, hell yeah, let's do it. And How does that work? Do you, do you keep the just the phone on ringer at all times? Oh, yeah. You know, because yeah. like sleep with it right by your head when, 100%. You're, when you're working. And, you know, not every boxer you have to worry about that with. But, um, you know, some guys are night owls. Floyd was that way. And, and Tank, to a certain extent, is that way. But my, my crew has a special all-access, you know, do not disturb. <laughs> That's just my number, <laughs> just in case. So we're prepared. Is it – does it get more challenging – like you mentioned Tank a couple of times and you've done a few with Tank Davis at this point. Does it get more challenging when you've done a subject over and over again? And, and there's only so many times you can go to the well. Like with Floyd, I mean, it did, I felt at the very end, you know, we, we get it, you're rich and you spend a lot of money. Like does it get challenging co- trying to come up with new ways to 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 showcase these guys? Absolutely. I mean, like I said before, you, you, you hit the 
you check those boxes that you normally do, like you got the gym, nutrition, all that. So you, you bank that stuff just mm-hmm. in case you need it. But yeah, it is challenging. Um, and it ten- depends on how they feel. Some camps guys are not feeling all access. The fight isn't big enough mm-hmm. or whatever it may be. But a lot of it is just being observant and listening to what's going on and then trying to pull that thread to mm-hmm. a point that, you know, maybe there's something here, maybe this is something different and just hopefully put them in an environment where they can thrive. Who's the guy when you think back that just wasn't feeling it at the time for whatever reason, that was just the most difficult guy to crack for something like this. I think the first, the first camp I ever did was Caleb plant and it was the Canelo fight. And, um, you know, it was, it was tough at first, but he was actually great because he gave us stuff every day, Mm -hmm. but there just wasn't the same, connection that i'm always trying to get Mm. and so he was a tough nut to crack and and you know it was a big fight you know he was the b side of that fight and um you know sometimes guys look at maybe showtime and being the a side guy so Mm. sometimes you're in that position but i just kind of broke it down and was like you know we're not here taking sides we're here promoting the fight Mm -hmm. like we're not with canelo and it so you know once we had that honest chat like things were good Mm -hmm. and um you know, I hope when they see the final product, they understand like why they did what they did and that it paid off. And then the second time when I saw Caleb, it was like a totally different experience. Mm-hmm. You know, he had seen the process play out and seen the results and that trust was there, which was something that I, it's something that I desperately like, <laughs> I, that's my job. I try to connect with these guys and like, it keeps me up at night sometimes, but you know, <laughs> uh, but that's, that's the fun challenge. I think. How was the connection? You talked a little bit about Errol, who's been through a lot over the years. I mean, how much of that did you want to get across in in this All Access? Um, connections. I worked with him on Ugas, which we focus more on the car accident mm-hmm. and, and things like that. And you know, he's he's super honest about it. Mm-hmm. Um, he really doesn't. There are some guys who have been through things. He doesn't hide from it, does he? Like, he does not just, hide from it. He's very yeah. He is very open about it. He. There are some guys who have things that are very touchy, and you know you bring it up to them beforehand and even just as out of respect and and once they're done talking about it, they're done talking about it. but errol errol truly understands like his story he has a sense for it i remember after the ugas fight he and he talks about it in interviews to this day he brings up the legendary night series on hbo mm-hmm. he understands legacy and how that plays out because like a lot of people growing up they watched 24 7 and all access and they saw those documentaries mm-hmm. and they saw themselves in that light and I think he, when he he understands that that car accident was the turning point for him, and I think he embraces that um, both because it makes his story more powerful and because it grounds him mm-hmm. and reminds him of it changed him as a person and mm-hmm. changed his life. So, and it made him not take this for mm-hmm. granted. So, I appreciate the fact that he um, leans into it so hard because it would be it would be a tough story to not tell. You want to mm-hmm. do it justice. Mm-hmm. You know, it's one of those things where you. It's a tough thing to ask about, but it's better just to let him tell the story. Mm-hmm. And um, and he he did. He never shot away. Never shot away from that. That Derek James gym nowadays is like hallowed ground with the number of just huge stars that are in it. You've got Errol, of course, at the top. Anthony Joshua, Ryan Garcia, joining Jermel Charlo, Frank Martin, hanging around in there. I mean, how much did you get to experience that? Kind of like the the presence of all of them at different times. It's super cool. We actually devoted a whole day to Derek James, like a day in the life. Mm-hmm. Um, and 
you know, speaking of that, Derek is a lot like Errol. He's a machine. He works super hard and he works, you know, he works just as hard as his fighters. And mm-hmm. that's why they all respect him so much. And if you ask them all that question of what do they like about Derek, they'll all tell you the same thing that, you know, he's in here with mm-hmm. us. So his office may have the only air conditioning, but, <laughs> you know, he's still in it. And it's still a long day. But, um, what I love about that gym though, it, it is truly like you have to remove your ego to go in not only from just an environment perspective because it's hot and it's tough to be there, but Derek is Derek James is Derek James. And when you go to him, that's what he's going to give you. Mm. And I think now guys understand that, you know, that's what they want. And that's what I think Ryan saw. They, AJ, the same thing. They went to Derek because they needed someone to be honest with them and it's not a gym where there's a ton of people around. We've all been to plenty of gyms where there's guys who are like, who's that guy in the back? But he's just like, he's the, he claps. He's always, he's, he's, he's the hype guy, but there's none of that in this gym. Um, it's, it's a very grounded place. And um, so guys have to remove their egos. And it's kind of crazy to think that these are some of the biggest stars in the world. Mm. Um, you know, and I think guys like AJ can appreciate it too because he's such a massive star in London. He can't even walk down the street, but in Dallas, he's he's scooting down mm-hmm. the street, no problem. So um, <laughs> it's a it's a very cool place to be. It's hot as hell, <laughs> and it's tough, but it's worth it. Mm-hmm. When you think back on, you mentioned the Seven Eleven story with Gervonta Davis. Uh, are there others that y- you sit back and like? that was good we we got it there what, what jumps to mind right away when you think about big moments in in this series yeah it's funny because sometimes you do something big and then you watch it back and you're like that actually wasn't as great mm-hmm. as i thought it was and sometimes it's something <laughs> little and it's like oh i actually got a lot out of that um you know i'm speaking of of caleb plant um we did he, people had done with this thing before but i remember we wanted to shoot him and his and his Impala riding down the strip at sunset. It was a very specific request, but he was cool with it. And like for us as like guerrilla filmmakers, that was like the epitome of of that. And we were all super excited because when we film a run or a drive, you know, we're breaking every law and on the road. But like you know, we we have a minivan and we're shooting at the side of the vans. And, you know, we're shooting him going down the strip at sunset and uh, I'm sitting in the back just thinking like, this is, this is cool. And then like, <laughs> we asked him at one point, like, do you think we could like keep you a little bit and time this up with you driving by as the Bellagio fountains go up? And he was just like, yeah, that'd be cool. I'm like, I agree. And so we <laughs> hopped in the van and we timed it up and we nailed the shot. And I just remember thinking like, that was the, that was my first all access. So I remember thinking like, that was, that was amazing. Mm-hmm. And it's like 10 seconds in the show, mm. but you know, it's, <laughs> it's, it was cool. Um, I'm trying to think of other things like, you know, having Errol with his family. Um, I will say the, the best thing I think I've gotten that I'm most proud of is after the Ugas fight, we rarely get guys after the fight, the day after, well, we'll stay behind and try, but, um, you know, with Spence, he had a whole cookout at his house the next day. And, um, to to be there after that victory and just kind of see him in that environment with his family and just they're all very welcoming of us um to be there for like a victory parade in a Mm -hmm. sense and also understand that terrence crawford was next um it played out very nicely in the Mm -hmm. episode so i was proud of that one last question for you um who would be the guy that you'd want to crack at a guy that you haven't done yet 
with all access that you'd love to get behind the scenes on tell that story who would that guy be me personally or showtime uh, we can go both yeah <laughs> if they don't line up <laughs> um you know i think Shakur Stevenson would be would be mm. great. I mean, obviously, I, I've worked with Tank a lot, so I don't I wouldn't necessarily be on that side. But I would. He's such a great fighter. I would love to to you know give him the all access treatment. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think a guy I'm I'm you know who knows. But I would love to work with Deontay Wilder. Mm. We worked with him a lot before I worked on all access, um, and it's been a while. And obviously, there's a lot that's happened since then. Mm-hmm. And uh, I just have a lot of respect for the guy. And to work with a heavyweight is just a whole different ball mm. game. And um, so I would love to work with a big heavyweight like Deontay for sure. I would think AJ too would be good. Not that AJ hasn't been covered ad nauseum, but it's a lot of British coverage. Yeah. And not to say it isn't quality, but I'd love to see you know, that kind of treatment when AJ is over in the US because he's such a complicated guy. And he's had such a interesting life uh, and he's gone through so much over the last few years. Like, I feel like you guys would do a good job of getting him to to open up and reveal some things that maybe he's so guarded over there because he is Anthony Joshua superstar. He's Anthony Joshua. He's the equivalent of the quarterback of the Cowboys over there. But here, like with his guard down, I feel like that would make for some pretty compelling content. I 100% agree. And actually, you know, I got to know AJ a little bit at mm-hmm. the gym and I, I really respect him because he's very honest about, um, you know, his quote unquote shortcomings in the ring and he's very hard on himself, but you could tell he just really wants to get better and mm. he's, he's brutally honest with himself and that's why he picked Derek. And I just, I respect him a lot because he's a very good person. And like you said, in, in England, I don't think people here have a real like sense of just how big he is mm-hmm. over there. Um, and so honestly to see him in this environment, um, him to be able to inform people of, Mm-hmm. you know what this guy's been through and how different it is for him to be here now and what that next chapter of his career is i think it's a very powerful thing mm. especially in heavyweight boxing no question uh nick manning the director of the all access series first two episodes are available on uh, showtime showtime.com showtime app the third episode will be the epilogue episode is that right so you better have, you need a, like extra cameras rolling for this one this is like oh yeah i mean you need everything we going, bring out but... the big guns you'll see <laughs> like... we have like uh we have like uh let's see i don't know like 18 cameras rolling fight night <laughs> really so, is that yeah. i mean is that more than usual like is it uh yeah i mean the... that's for an epilogue we're in like the 10 to 15 range for mm-hmm. this fight i went a little harder sorry <laughs> to my line producer <laughs> She's gonna see. i don't think there's such a thing as oversaturation for this fight like no. i i will want to consume every detail after the fight i would want to know i'd, I'd want to know every like every inch of body language on these guys how they react you know to the winner to the loser how they feel i mean that's there's not enough that I, I wouldn't consume for something like this. I mean, the epilogues are, are special. They're my favorite because, you know, those are the ones that everyone can look back mm-hmm. on and, and adapt their own experience to it and mm-hmm. get a different look at it. And and that's where a lot of the most powerful stuff is. I have yet to be in a losing locker room, and I hope this isn't it either, but mm-hmm. that's where a lot of the most powerful stuff comes from is, um, you know, when someone loses. And Even in the ring, like you caught, like the Garcia tank fight. You guys caught Ryan talking to Joe afterwards. Like you, you mm. pretty much spelled out what happened there mm. with the body shot and kind of what Joe was going through there and what was happening there. That was 
revealing to say the least. Yeah, I mean, the hope is we have so many cameras and we have so many mics going on celebrities and family members that I know the epilogue is going to show stuff that people mm -hmm. aren't seeing and put it in a context that they haven't. And to be able to you know, to package it in a 30-minute movie, it's, a, it's, it's an emotional experience, honestly. You know, it obviously comes down to the fight, at the end of the day, how great the fight is. And, uh, you know, that's where we win our Emmys, too. So, <laughs> Spence Crawford, let's get it. <laughs> Nick, appreciate your time, man. Thank you. That's it for this week's episode. My thanks to Keith Eideck and Nick Manning for joining the show. As always, subscribe, rate, review this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you download podcasts. And we will see you later in the week. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union, a savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA. There's no distance too far for the perfect trip. Hi, checking in for... Or the perfect table. Hey, where are you? Coming! And when you get access to Resi Priority Notify with your Amex Platinum card... Hey, this looks amazing! I'm so glad you made it. And travel benefits at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. It's worth the trip. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. This episode brought to you by 20th Century Studios' Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Director Wes Ball breathes new life into the epic franchise. As a ruthless king attempts to build his empire at the expense of the remaining human race, a young ape begins a journey to fight for a future for apes and humans alike. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Enter the kingdom in IMAX this Friday and theaters everywhere. Get tickets now.